It's tea time here in the Medicine Garden. I'm David Freudberg, and today I'm steeping a cup of herbal tea. This is chamomile, often consumed as a mild relaxant to ease our passage through this harried world. Common herbal beverages are likely to have only minor health benefits, if any. But certain plants, when brewed up into a tea or extracted into a liquid tincture or tablet, are used for serious medical conditions. Some patients rely on herbs to treat ailments ranging from arthritis to high blood pressure to menopausal symptoms. These botanical remedies are growing in popularity because they can be less harsh on the body and in many cases cost less than high-tech chemical medicine. But today in the U.S., most physicians receive little or no training in herbal cures. When I was in medical school, it was ridiculed. Uh, doctors and teachers and my, my fellow medical students and, and myself felt that uh, people were just fooling themselves. There, there was a placebo uh, effect that uh, would explain any improvement, or perhaps it was just chance, uh, and yet the public continued to use herbs and other alternative therapies. Depending on your perspective, either a large sector of the public is simply wasting its time and money on worthless treatments, or most doctors are blindly ignoring evidence that natural therapies can be effective. The question seems to turn on how you prove whether a healthcare technique like herbal medicine is genuinely useful. Just because a practice is fashionable does not make it convincing to physicians like Robert Temple, who evaluates drugs for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA. That doesn't impress me one way or the other. Uh, before conventional medicine learned how to study things properly, they believed in the wildest collection of, uh, of uh, interventions uh, that one could imagine, uh, leeches and bleeding and so on. And uh, although those were widely perceived as effective and were very popular, none of them worked. And now we know that. Throughout history, herbal medicine has offered a kind of refuge for patients steering clear of especially brutal treatments administered by conventional doctors. Gentle botanical remedies provided an alternative to such standard medical practices as blistering and prescribing toxic doses of mercury. Some modern-day patients turn to herbs, hoping to escape the irritating side effects sometimes produced by pharmaceutical drugs. Dr. David Katz. At least I can tell you what I have experienced in my own practice is that there are people who I have tried medical treatments uh, which are standard pharmaceuticals and they have not tolerated any of them uh, for, for instance, high blood pressure, for chronic fatigue, for uh, sleep problems, and for allergies like hay fever. And uh, they have gotten better on herbal preparations whereas they could not tolerate the standard treatments. Mainstream medical science does not accept such experiences as conclusive evidence that herbal medicine works. Only clinical experiments that rule out any possible coincidences will satisfy the strict medical standards. In the case of herbs, these clinical trials generally have not been performed because they're so expensive. According to a government report, the average pharmaceutical drug now costs $238 million to develop and test. Drug companies cannot patent a naturally occurring plant and so have little incentive to invest in costly tests for herbal remedies. 
Thus, according to FDA physician Robert Temple, the effectiveness of herbs has not been proven. You can't say whether a therapy is useful or not unless you've done the studies that show that it is. And so when a physician chooses either a conventional medicine or a, an alternative type of medicine, uh, he has to have some idea based on good studies of whether it works or he can't possibly make the choice rationally. I, I should add one thing. Uh, I realize that many of the people who use these uh, therapies uh, believe in them, um, even though they haven't had the kinds of trials that I'm saying are necessary. It's important to appreciate that these kinds of observations aren't necessarily wrong. Um, uh, mu much of medicine starts with a careful, uncontrolled observation, an anecdote, if you like. It's that they don't constitute credible evidence. Um, they might be right, they might be wrong, but you can't tell. That view is unrealistically rigid in the minds of healthcare providers who practice herbal medicine. They believe if millions of people say botanical treatment works for them, that experience has some validity. Physician Andrew Weil. I have gotten many people off of pharmaceutical antihistamines and onto stinging nettles with very good results. This is a plant that has no toxicity, no side effects, and really works. It ends symptoms like itchy eyes and sneezing and, and all the kind of stuff that goes along with hay fever. Why would it be preferable for a patient accustomed, say, to antihistamine over-the-counter medications that anybody could buy in a pharmacy to turn to this plant called stinging nettle? Because antihistamines have awful side effects. Uh, they make you groggy, they interfere with mood, they interfere with sleep, they contribute to depression. But, you know, there is a very good, there's a good placebo-controlled, randomized, double-blind study demonstrating the efficacy of stinging nettles. And I find that, you know, most doctors, not only have they never heard of stinging nettles, but it's beyond their conception that there could be a, such a test that's in the literature, but there it is. Dr. Weil feels that because herbal therapy is generally not taught in medical school, it remains a foreign subject to most doctors. But there's another factor at work, according to historian and author Barbara Griggs in London. The trouble with herbal medicine has always been that it's been a very good medicine for amateurs. So what do the doctors do? I mean, doctors are not keen on people doctoring themselves. I mean, this is as true today as it was 1,000 or 10,000 years ago. So doctors throughout the ages, especially in the last 2,000 years, have always been at pains to distance themselves and to distance medicine from this simple common practice of you go out into your, into your back garden and pick a leaf of this or a bloom of that and brew it up and it'll help your cough or your hangover or your indigestion or whatever it is. Regardless of motive, today's medical establishment, including the powerful American Medical Association, or AMA, is often at odds with the huge wave of public interest in alternative health care. According to Professor Varro Tyler, former dean of the pharmacy school at Purdue University, doubtful doctors are simply ill-informed about herbs. There is a good deal of confusion among persons who are not specialists in the field about nomenclature, for example, in the herbal field. A plant, a common plant such as chamomile, has ten different scientific names. And to uh, revert to uh, one of the... Uh, AMA's recent errors, apparently uh, the people involved did not know the difference between ginseng and Siberian ginseng. They're totally different. And yet uh, the AMA uh, failed uh, to recognize that these two plants were different and the authors who were physicians of the paper that was published didn't recognize that they were different. 
And so you have a, a rather serious error in accusing ginseng that might have been due to something uh, from Siberian ginseng. And that's the kind of thing where it, more knowledge is required than those people possess, unfortunately. Against this confusing backdrop, it's perhaps not surprising that herbal medicine in the United States finds itself in the awkward position of what's been called a regulatory twilight zone. Current federal law guarantees public access to certain non-prescription health products, including vitamins and herbs. Although herbs obviously are consumed as medicine, technically they're not classified as drugs under the law. Thus, producers of these products are prohibited from making any health claims on the packaging to indicate, for example, that echinacea is used for cold symptoms. Professor Tyler. If you look at the legislation uh, from 1906, from 1938, from 1962, the intent of Congress was to grandfather all of these herbal remedies to permit them to be sold as drugs uh, even without the modern proof of efficacy that came in after 1962. However, the Food and Drug Administration, by a very clever application of administrative regulation, said, yes, these can be sold, but if you make any claim for them on the label, if you say they're good for anything or good to treat anything, then we will consider them as an unapproved drug and we will confiscate them. To be federally approved as a drug, each herb would have to undergo the testing process that typically costs hundreds of millions of dollars. As a practical matter, this is simply prohibitive for botanical suppliers. Thus, the marketplace now is filled with products whose labeling reveals little and is almost certain to leave most consumers baffled. Well, I hope we will continue to require proper studies before we grant claims. FDA physician Robert Temple. I would say that we now have complete availability, at least, of nutritional supplements, which includes all herbals, um, so long as they don't make claims, so that to the extent people in the community think they know what they're doing and think they know what they want, they have near complete access to them. And I, I like the idea that it's quite clear that if you want to make claims, you have some work to do, which I believe you should. Let's take an example, uh, an ancient uh, sleep aid and minor tranquilizer, valerian. Professor Tyler. It's a mild tranquilizer and has less side effects than some of our synthetic drugs. Is it addictive? No, it's not addictive. And it's been used for this very purpose for at least a thousand years. So you might say that valerian had been adequately tested <laughs> by people just because of the millions and millions of doses that had been taken without any reporting of, ad of adverse side effects. Now, I, I want to emphasize immediately that our Food and Drug Administration will not accept that. They say that history doesn't count. The dilemma of how to regulate herbs is faced by other nations as well. One possible model for resolving the dispute is found in Germany. Commission E, a panel of the German Federal Health Agency, has been evaluating plant medicine since 1978. Physicians, pharmacists, pharmacologists, and other commission members have methodically reviewed over 300 botanical remedies. 
broad scientific studies, a pattern of historical use, and even individual cases reported by doctors are deemed relevant. To date, about 200 of these herbal remedies have been approved. Physician Andrew Weil. I would love to see more research on some of these products, but the German Commission E has done an enormous amount of work to sort out those herbs that are likely to be uh, useless and possibly dangerous from those that are likely to be safe and effective. Uh, and it's amassed a great deal of data uh, on them and has also clearly indicated the need for future research. It's an open question whether the United States will ever adopt a system along the lines of the German Commission E to determine which plants are effective remedies. But experts in botanical medicine insist that a great deal of scientific literature already exists on the healing properties of herbs. A computer database compiled in Chicago at the University of Illinois College of Pharmacy has amassed summaries of some 130,000 scientific articles on plants and their potential use as medicine. The information is collected with funding from the UN's World Health Organization. The project director, Professor Norman Farnsworth, believes that for some herbs, solid evidence does exist. Those few plants uh, saw palmetto, which is used for benign prosthetic uh, hyperplasia. Um, it's enlarged prostate. Right. There is uh, nettle root. I won't bother you with scientific names. And you, you'll notice when I go through the list, all of these grow in the United States. There is feverfew, which uh, uh, if, if you take a fresh leaf even of feverfew and chew it up, if you have migraine, the migraine attack goes away or is greatly reduced in pain. Then you have garlic, which obviously uh, is, is used for cardiovascular problems. It lowers cholesterol about 17%. Not dramatic, but uh, it, it does it. It also inhibits platelet aggregation, which could prevent stroke. Uh, ginkgo biloba, the oldest fossil tree on the planet. Uh, this is grown in South Carolina. There is a plantation with 10 million ginkgo trees probably the largest stand of any plant ever in the history of the world. And they don't come out and say this is used for Alzheimer's disease, but what they're saying is it improves retention, loss of memory. So those are about the ones where we, we know from clinical studies and animal studies and in vitro studies, we know the mechanism of action, we know the chemical constituents, and we know uh, whenever there are side effects, it's usually of an allergenic nature. And if you stop taking it, the allergy goes away. Dr. Farnsworth adds that there are many other herbs which may have genuine medicinal effects, but which have not yet been subjected to the same degree of scientific testing. In this category, he places ginseng, the small perennial plant widely taken in Chinese medicine for its purported revitalizing qualities and host of other uses. Chinese medicine is the oldest known system of botanical healing. Today, the official roster of Chinese remedies, known as the pharmacopoeia, lists some 700 plants, each identified with its specific curative properties. The use of Chinese medicinal herbs made the difference between illness and health for Andrew Gettert in Oakland, California. 
I had uh, Crohn's disease, which is a gastrointestinal disorder, and that was untreated by Western medicine. I'd also tried various other nutritional methods, and nothing had helped me. So I sought the help of Chinese herbs, and um, gradually I felt my um, digestion began to improve, improve. I was having significantly less pain. I was um, no, no longer had to be hospitalized, and so I became a, a real true believer. Gettard embarked on a serious study of Chinese herbal healing and now conducts a clinic in Oakland, California, in association with Dr. Feng Feng, a formerly trained physician and author who was born in China. According to Dr. Feng, disease results from an imbalance of yin and yang, the two basic life energies said to be present in bodily organs. How can you determine the degree of imbalance of my yin and yang? Oh, because I check your pulse and see that. From your pulse and see how your five organs working. Which, which organs are those? The heart, the lungs, the stomach, and the liver, and in, in, in your kidney. kidney. These five organs must be work together peacefully, and you feel better. Depending on his diagnosis, Dr. Fung could prescribe several herbal remedies, some containing ingredients familiar to Westerners, like cinnamon or chrysanthemum, and some with descriptive names like cramp bark prescribed for menstrual pain. The herbs are usually brewed up into a tea or infusion, which the patient drinks. Physician Andrew Weil in Tucson. Chinese herbal medicine in practice differs from Western herbal medicine in that instead of prescribing single remedies, they always prescribe combinations of remedies and usually never fewer than 12 plants in one prescription. Some of the plants are there because they're considered uh, as adjuvants of other herbs. Licorice, for example, is, is present in almost in many, many Chinese herbal formulas. For one thing, it's got a sweet taste that disguises the taste of some of the more bitter constituents. But also, licorice is con widely considered to be something that increases the effect of other herbal medicines. Chinese herbal philosophy strongly emphasizes the concept of synergy. In other words, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Healing properties are generally attributed to the interaction of plants in a mixture and not individual herbs. In recent years, Chinese researchers have begun applying modern scientific tests to the ancient herbal formulas. And in a remarkable number of cases, there has been verification of the effects attributed to these plants in the traditional system. You know, not in all cases. I'm sure there's some plants there that are worthless or that are there just for superstitious reasons. But you know, there have been some that have been tested that really work. You know, a classic example is ephedra, which was the, is the oldest medicinal plant of which we have written records. There are records from uh, several thousand years ago documenting the use of this plant, recommending it for asthma and, and uh, chest congestion. And it's now, as I said, the source of a Western drug, ephedrine, that we use for treating asthma. So there's likely to be a lot in the Chinese herbal pharmacopoeia that will pan out by modern testing methods. This intriguing intersection of Western science and ancient Eastern knowledge is likely to produce a kind of synergy of its own. And I think that's really the great future in herbal medicine, is to work hand-in-hand hand with, um, with Western medical treatment. Do you think there are certain kinds of conditions which are more effectively treated by herbal medicine? In terms of um, 
gynecological complaints, immune disorders, and digestive disorders, Chinese medicine and herbal medicine have a great deal to offer in uh, more maintenance uh, situations. In other words, if somebody is vomiting about blood and they have tremendous abdominal cramps, they may need to go to the emergency room, but eventually um, when they are not hospitalized, the uh, herbs can have a great deal of impact so that they don't have um, to take so many Western medicines. In terms of gynecological complaints, we get very, very good results with uh, women with PMS, hot flashes during menopause, uh, menstrual cramps. We get, you know, tremendous results. In addition to drinking herbal teas for medicine, some medicinal plants are eaten as foods and spices. This practice was taught to Martin Yan, who grew up in Guangzhou, China. He's now an internationally acclaimed chef based in San Francisco and host of the PBS television series Yan Can Cook. Most traditional house, Chinese households, they practice herbal medicine as a religion. My mother always cooked something with herbs. And the Chinese believe in preventive holistic healings. They believe in preventive medicines. Yan continues to use herbs in his own renowned cuisine, not just for flavor, but for medicine. When I make soups, I would do a lot of ginger. Ginger is a very healthy food itself, help digestion, help a lot of things. And I use tangerine peels, and I use um, occasionally use ginsengs. Ginseng? Ginseng. And I also use a lot of type of Chinese herbs to uh, help digestions. So in my pantry, I actually have a variety of herbs. That some herbs lead a double life, both as culinary flavorings and as useful medicines, is nowhere more delectably evident than in the cuisine of India and its island neighbor Sri Lanka. Most of the spices blended into a dish of curry promote smooth digestion of the foods they season. The garlic can help ward off a cold, and hot peppers, either in mild or incendiary doses, can promote good circulation and ease conditions of the lungs and sinus. In fact, a well-spiced meal can be powerful preventive medicine. To learn about the art of healthy Eastern eating, I spent time in the kitchen with Dr. K. Ganeshan, a gifted chef who happens to be a medical doctor from Sri Lanka, educated at England's Royal College of Surgeons and now living in the United States. We're chopping up some cabbage, chopping it rather fine, fine, fine chopping quickens the cooking process. And so we're going to have sort of a curry tonight of cabbage and carrots with onions and chilies and other spices. Yes. Cabbage by itself, sometimes cabbage can be t- uh, cooked with just salt and a little turmeric, and it's very tasty. Turmeric is that bright yellow spice. Turmeric is a bright yellow spice. It's a, it's a, one of the best antiseptics for the intestinal system. In fact, turmeric is used on the outside for as a poultice for for uh, starting abscesses. 
At the stove, Dr. Ganeshan began by sautéing these onions, along with mild chili peppers and the flavorful seed spices, fenugreek, cumin, and black mustard. As a sumptuous aroma rose up from the pan, he added the thinly chopped cabbage along with carrots. Cabbage has its own water, so to start with, it can cook by itself. Uh, then we keep checking to make sure it's not sticking at the bottom. And if it begins to do that, then we add a little extra water. Once the cabbage starts, begins to cook, then it's time to add the powdered spices. Hardest part of the job is opening the bottle of the powdered spices. And for this curry, we're going to add powdered cayenne, which is the red one, the hot one. Don't want to add too much of that cayenne because it's pretty powerful stuff. It is. Uh, cumin powder. Ground cumin powder. Ground cumin, about half a teaspoon, and uh, coriander. Coriander is, we can add more of coriander. That's sort of a heaping teaspoon. teaspoon. Coriander very soft in the stomach, so um, it aids the digestion. Now we're adding turmeric, which is a bright yellow powder, but too much of it can be bitter. So the usual proportion is, uh, if we add one teaspoon of cayenne, we would add half to one of cumin, a uh, little more than one of coriander, and only about a quarter of turmeric. A little bit of ginger powder is good, it aids the digestion and uh, garlic. Of course, garlic could be minced whole or it's available in a powdered form. That's right. Now, garlic, when it's minced whole, it's, it's best added along with the onions uh, and fried within the oil. That, that works well and it's, it's, a, it's a great flavor when it's fried. When you're first preparing the base for the vegetables that are later added. That's correct, yeah. It's going to take a little oil to cook. The sizzling now is, is when, the, when the cabbage is losing its water. What a grand design that nature should serve up valuable medicines in the foods and spices we so enjoy. And what a wondrous mystery that cures for human diseases lie undiscovered in the vast natural forest we call the Medicine Garden. I'm David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. 
And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.